Yo, 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 what is up? Great people of the internet, Synthopsis listeners, everyone on Night Red FM, welcome, welcome. I am your host, Synthopsis Guy, aka Jamal. As always, feel free to call me wherever you want. I don't even have a nickname. But, anyways, thank you all for coming out and uh, listening to me live right now, uh, even though. You did not come out live because this is a podcast. You'll probably listen to this later on in your commute or whatever. But thank you all so much for coming out. Um, we have an absolute interview today, second interview of the podcast. I will be talking with Dreria. Dreria, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on. It is an honor to be on here, Synthesis, and I bid the greetings to everyone listening to Night Ride FM. Yeah, awesome, awesome. We're going to be talking all about Dark Wave, what it is, why it's awesome. Because honestly, a few weeks ago, I didn't even really know much about it. Um, I was just talking with Jiria and he mentioned that it's awesome. And I definitely want to learn more about it. And I think a lot of the people in the synth community could benefit from learning more about it. The, uh, the origins of it, how it mixed with synth wave, the difference between dark synth and dark wave, because apparently those two terms are not the same, but they get mixed up a lot. I know this is a mistake that I used to do all the time. So we're going to talk all about it. Um, this interview is going to be a bit different from my previous out rundown with Wraith Walker. That was a uh, kind of talk with him about his origin, his origin story, um, what he is all about as an artist, where he's going to go in his music. This is really just a kind of genre discussion with the resident expert. Uh, so I also going to be premiering, Dreer has been very kind and is going to let me premiere three tracks, uh, two from his one of his band, uh, Empire of the Vampire. They have an upcoming album, I believe. Um, Correction, actually, one of them will be from the upcoming project. It is the one you're are going to be playing just soon enough. Mm-hmm. And then the other two will be from two projects I got due out in 2020. All right, nice. So we got three brand new premier tracks. This is the first time on Synthopsis history that we are premiering tracks. So we are going places, people. All right. Without further ado, here is the intro track. We hold these truths to be self-evident from the Empire of the Vampire. This is a premier track. Enjoy.
All right, nice stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much for letting me premiere that track. It's very uh, brooding. We're going to be talking next week about intro episodes. And I love that that, uh, not intro episodes, intro tracks to albums. And I love that that track is very like intimidating, building up. And the final cut is supposed to have a speech from Megan McDuffie. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be pretty intense, I believe. All right. So without further ado, let's get into Dark Wave. Um, I'll let you more or less take it over from here. Uh, let's talk about the very basics, if you can summarize kind of like what is dark wave? What are the origins that make it what it is or made it what it is? Excuse me. Well, I've always described dark wave as goth rock's club friendly cousin, but I also think that's somewhat of an inaccurate description, though it perhaps describes some of the origins of the genre of which in the middle of the back cave and the whole scene with goth rock that has been exploding at the time, there was, of course, the new wave and the synth pop scenes going on around the same time. And so it was kind of inevitable that some of these scenes were going to clash because some, there were some similar styles in the aesthetic. And so as eventually we started getting a lot of weird experiments from bands like Suicide and then uh, eventually probably the first track that you could probably properly call Dark Wave, which was much more synthy, uh, Ministries Every Day is Halloween. Yeah, and then it's... from there... Oh, sorry, no, I keep going. From there, I would say the probably the most, uh, the first proper Dark Wave album would be Clan of Zymox's uh, self-titled debut album, which really feels like sort of a much darker version of like New Order or similar type of bands. Yeah, it and seems like really there was the explosion of the um, new wave genre at the time that was coming out in the 70s and 80s. And uh, it's, it's the name Dark Wave is kind of like the darker interpretation of, the, of this uh, style, this new kind of music. Do you think that's a fair, a fair thing to say? Yeah, especially, yeah, especially as I said, with that, a lot of that early era and especially with like, uh, I think Clan of Zyma, Zymox um, being the initial act to really kind of kick it off and 4AD's label in general being a, uh, the premiere of that. I think that that would be a good description for like a lot of that, for, uh, the first half of the first decade in which it started off. In. And like a, a lot of the offshoots in the 80s there are a lot, a lot more of an offshoot of that before the 90s. And that was uh, that's leading up to probably what, what I would consider to be the pinnacle point of when Dark Wave started to evolve, which was the Sisters of Mercy and uh, the release of Floodland. Yeah. Um, so we can't play any music, unfortunately, due to copyright issues. We don't want to get taken off the airwaves of the interwebs. Um, but... You made a nice little plays plays for me, which kind of had like a sort of summary. Uh, I, I, you called it a synopsis of Dark Wave, I, which I appreciated. But it had a kind of summary of the most prominent bands, a lot of them that, which you named, and the feel of the genre of how it changed over time from the 80s to the 90s to the to 2000s to the 2010s and kind of where we are now. And it was interesting for me to listen to this playlist because I never listen to dark wave or goth growing up i i did a little bit with black metal not black metal with heavy metal uh when i was an edgy middle schooler uh, um you know everyone most people have those phases um but i never listened to it so when i did listen to it it was a very new experience for me um and the 80s dark wave it sounded very different from anything i'd ever really listened to 
it I I want I wonder if you could talk more about the how it sounds because there's a lot of this um the vocals for example they sound very kind of almost lazy like it's kind of just like people talking it's like it's not upbeat it's not exciting it's just like kind of like lazy uh like singing in a sense so I, I wonder if you could exp- uh, explain more on why the vocals are like that because I think it's very unique and interesting it's, I would call it droning, I think would be the, uh, the best way to describe it. And there's a, there's a very much dark atmosphere around it, but um, revolved more around, uh, around reverb and like having, uh, developing an atmosphere off of that. And I think part of that actually originates from what I was talking about, the Sisters of Mercy. And uh, back in the uh, old era of Goth, uh, when 19, in 1985, when the Sisters of Mercy came out with their debut album, The First, Last, and Always, I think it's hard to explain how uh, how much impact the Sisters of Mercy were making in the European goth scene, and so the in, the vocal style of Andrew Eldritch, especially on that record, which had some of this more below it belowing sort of voices in this more darker tone, I think that reflects a lot in some of the early early and even more modern interpretations of goth. A lot of them take aspirations from Andrew Eldritch and actually from acts like Joy Division that were some of the the forebearers of goth music as a whole. So there, there's sort of the Ian Curtis or Andrew Eldritch sort of type voice that became sort of the forefront for what I believe to be the modern goth vocal is what I would call it. So that's kind of, he was like kind of the vanguard for the whole vocals essentially. Yeah, and as much as Andrew doesn't like to back away from the goth scene as a whole, uh, it's it's important to exp- uh, to double down on how pivotal the Sisters of Mercy were to the scene as a whole, and actually in the evolution of dark wave, as we'll discuss, uh, the release of uh, 1987's Floodland album and the 1992 track Temple of Blood, Love 1992, those two tracks, uh, excuse me, that album and that track. Those pr- were very essential to the evolution of dark wave as a whole. Nice, nice. Uh, you touched on the darker themes. It, I mean, it's called dark wave for a reason, but there are a lot of recurrent themes in the music and things that I've noticed. Uh, themes of self harm, of uh, violence, uh, even like horror themes. Uh, there's a comp- one of the songs you sent me. Uh, the compilation. It's like a compilation dark wave music and the uh, the icon the album like kind of icon picture i can't think of right now art my brain's completely fried on me for some reason uh is it's the uh swamp creature thing like the really uh thing from the 1920s to 30s like the fish swamp creature thing i'm not that uh old i don't know exactly what it's called so there is a it seems like there's a lot of inspiration from horror uh and from violence so i was wondering if you could touch more on those themes and uh kind of also how it ties into being dark wave some of it also comes from gothic literature as well. Uh, things like uh, uh, the poetry of Edgar Allan Poe mm-hmm. and, and Mary, uh, the books of Mary Shelley and other sorts. Uh, I think that some of that uh, has certainly bleeded onto that. And though, yes, you are right on some of the uh, iconography with uh, the horror's connection to it. Actually, the first goth song, Bella Lucy's Dead, was a reference to the guy who played Dracula. Uh, Belly Lugosi himself. And so I think I definitely do a lot of that blends in. And I think there's a lot of shock element to that as well. Like, especially in the 90s, there was a lot of um, 
a lot of pushing of those those kind of darker images, and I even blended into some of the main uh, the mainstream rock of the '90s with, say, Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails. Right. It's it's a little tricky, but it's very important to try to figure out how how the music is changing over time. Because one of the inevitable rules of music, as something the synth community is talking a lot about, is change. Uh, so. Let's talk about then how Dark Wave changed over time, taking moving from its 80s origins, let's say, go to the 90s. Uh, what are the predominant changes uh, when it moved into the 90s? And then also onto the 2000s, how is it changing over time? Where is it grabbing influence from? Well, I think one of the biggest f pushes that you can say is uh, the Temple of Love 1992, as I just referenced. And the th big thing about that track was it was big, it was anthemic, it was massive. I used like I, I included that track in the playlist, and as you heard, between that and then what uh, I included this corrosion, I believe those tracks were absolutely huge, and they sounded and those sort of big anthemic tracks. That's sort of what uh, what a lot of a dark wave wanted to try and do. They sort of wanted to be those big, massive massive tracks with like with with like big anth uh, with big anthems behind them, and so. Uh, or at the very least, have like a big dance groove behind, um, behind them. Something that would get, that would really get the club going. Like that's, that's, this is the first time where like golf clubs really started flourishing, mm -hmm. uh, like specifically towards this type of sound. And so you had this big, you have the biggest band in there, you know. And uh, I think it's important also to acknowledge that this corrosion was either just under or it was a top ten hit in the UK. And so that's on, that's a big that's another big factor of it as well. And uh, uh, one of the first acts to, uh, to be capitalize off of this was Rosetta Stone. And Rosetta Stone uh, not only was one of the first bands to have an online presence, but also they were, uh, they were, they kind of had that sort of, uh, they were opening for a band called The Mission. And The Mission were basically, they were the backing band of the first, uh, uh, I, that was doing the first album of the Sisters of Mercy that I was talking about earlier. Mm. They sort of went on to become The Mission. They all left and they kind of became the mission, and so uh, they ended up kind of keeping that same fan base. And so the mission, so with the Rosetta Stone opening up for the mission, it sort of easily led them to become big. And so between Rosetta Stone get, uh, actually getting a top forty hit in the UK, and then with the Sisters of Mercy, they sort of established the formula for what would be considered the, I would say, the first sound of '90s goth. And then the second one person that I would say that was very important was a guy named Trevor Bamford. And Trevor Bamford was the singer and guitarist of, of a band called Every New Dead Ghost, and then eventually went to front another band called uh, Midnight Configuration. And from his time in Midnight Configuration, he formed a label called Nightbreed Records. And Nightbreed Records, um, that's the one that you talked about that had the, um, had the creature on it in front of it. Yeah. And so, uh, with Nightbeat Records, he signed at, uh, signed acts like Suspiria, Faithful Dawn, Athme. And a lot of these had a much more synth-oriented sound in comparison with uh, with a lot of the uh, more rock-oriented sounds of, say, Rosetta Stone and uh, Paralyzed Age that were uh, were kind of taking influence from the Sisters of Mercy. And so, what ended up uh, so what ended up happening was a lot of these sounds they kind of still had that sort of more dark moody um vocal style that was from the 80s they kind of they kind of gave a much more sinister atmosphere to it sometimes they would put more effects over it like oh uh, 
or give a um, much more sinister tone to it, like say Suspiria. Uh, and they would fo some some of them would even focus more on the writing. Like uh, going back to Suspiria, is uh, th they took a lot of influence from various books and poetry that sort of became the foregrounds to what were uh, what was a lot of a lot of interesting lyricism for me when it comes to a lot of their tracks. Mm. You, you talked about um, the moving towards the more electronic sounds because from what I've listened to, the 80s music, like the origins, they are very, it sounds like they're very, very light on the electronics. And then as you progress through time, you, as you mentioned also, there's more electronic music, more focus on, you know, goth club. So let's say moving up to the 2000s and the 2010s, uh, the kind of marriage, if you will, not the marriage, but the intermingling of uh, dark wave with electronic sounds, uh, some of the prominent bands, uh, and then we can hopefully arrive to kind of how it begins to mix with where we are today, and then we'll take a break uh, and play another premiere track, and we'll finish that up that uh, bit up in the second half about uh, how Darkwave mixed with Synthwave. But if you could just talk a bit more about the uh, mixing, how it began to mix for the first sound electronic music. Yep, and I was just about to get into that, because uh, alongside uh, the goth, rock, and Darkwave, uh, one of the premier genres that was also being played in there was industrial music. And so with you know, industrial, in another genre called EBM, which stands for electronic body music. Mm. That's, a, that's a genre that you can do, do your own research on. But these two genres became, uh, began to definitely have an impact on goth music as a whole. And actually, Midnight Configuration themselves were an early forebearer of uh, really early EBM sounds. And so, uh, as a result, a lot of this started uh, started kind of mingling together and started getting uh, electronic. The electronics from those genres started getting more into uh, dark wave, and eventually it's it started to mutate itself from acts like the Crook Shadows and Blue Tendril, which uh, some of them which actually came from genres of of more industrial background. And then from there, you also started having uh, you, also during this time, in addition to in addition uh, to those heavier uh, excuse me to those more industrial songs, you started having more melodic. Uh, takes on dark wave as well. I mentioned Blue Tenjo earlier, but also mm. acts like Project Pitchfork and Bella Morte. And so, uh, and one of the big things as well that initiated some of this change in between that and the electronics was also the release of a compilation called Vampire the Masquerade Music from the Succubus Club. It came with a, um, a tabletop RPG called Vampire the Masquerade. I'm sure somebody, some people have played the video games. Shout out to all the Bloodline fans out there. But yeah, this compilation included some of those artists, as I mentioned, like Bella Morte, The Crook Shadows, Diary of Dreams. That's another big artist that was around at this time. And so uh, that's where a lot of the shift from the 90s into 2000s came. And that's where a lot of them start off, a lot of that sound started to quickly develop. And so then you had that. And Dark Wave, I would say, sort of became its own genre at this point. Like it wasn't just like a offshoot of goth rock or new wave or whatever mm. it felt like dark wave was a, was its own thing it had its own sound to it so this is the pride this is the defining moment when it really begins to take its own sound and just kind of being like from this niche offshoot into being like its own identical genre yeah and that's not always to say that it was always for the best quality i would say that 2000s is um, perhaps the weakest uh, the weakest decade for goth in my personal opinion but the uh that aside, 
Oh, there was a lot of interesting s sounds going into a lot of this, and actually, dark wave is getting bigger than bigger than ever, and starting to go into more mainstream sounds. Mm. So this eventually um, leads to the post punk revival at the mid two thousands. And remember how I mentioned that Joy Division was an, was an influence of uh, of goth as a whole, yes. and so uh, that also became a uh, influence of the post punk revival of the two mid two thousands. And so this leads into a band called She Wants Revenge. And they became the, uh, what I would consider to be the most popular dark wave act that would be recognizable among the people listening right now. Like I'm pretty sure some, some people have heard songs like Tear You Apart. Uh, or I would say, like they would probably at least recognize one She Wants Revenge song. And that's because Tear You Apart actually almost became a charting song. Like it became on the billboard under 100 in the U.S., and so that, that's actually a pretty big deal that, because goth, um, goth music at the time was never really charting in the U.S. So this is the point when it really starts taking off and gaining a really big following, kind of big relative, yeah. of course. Yeah, and unfortunately, the decline overall, I think, contributed to it not growing any further. And we can point on to other things here and there. But overall, I would say I would say this is sort of the big time where dark wave really started to, to feel like this was something that w that wasn't just like a gimmick, you know. It felt like it was something that actually existed, and so then it continued on with artists like Anders Manga and the birth uh, the birthday massacre. To a, uh, and that's where it started continuing getting off. Uh, getting, I would say sonically, it started it started getting bigger, and then you started having. Uh, having moments where it actually, I would say the impact of Tear You Apart sort of influenced goth bands to start getting with the times, you know? Mm -hmm. It started taking influence from genres around them, which is where I go to the point of the Birthday Massacre, which I would say take took influence from a lot of the alt-metal and other sort of genre uh, acts like the time, you know, like Evanescence yes. and, and those sort of 2000s radio rock acts. The really big bands that like people growing up like myself know. Especially yeah, yeah. Since was a really big hit, and yeah, I think you admitted to Disturbed at one point. Yes. I would say that. I would say. I would say there. I would say the Birthday Massacre is the good version of that. But uh, anyways, <laughs> Sam, so, uh, taking shots of my favorite rock band. I'm sorry, Disturbed was <laughs> not, was not was only good for two albums. Ah, uh, fair but enough. Anyways, but anyways, so um. Uh, Anyways, into this modernization, it be, uh, with a lot of the uh, a lot of the goth scene was like taking aspiration, you know, trying to um, bringing in all these sort of weird music from our offshoots uh, and kind of bringing them into their th into their clubs. Uh, Witch House is is a good example of a genre that suddenly just started playing at goth clubs. I mentioned EBM earlier. EBM was starting to reach its own height and reaching and also reaching subgenres like future pop. And so a lot of that was coming into the goth, uh, goth scene. And then we turn ourselves to our little friendly cousin of synth pop, synth wave. Yes. <laughs> and then and we get we to where we are today, basically. Yeah. All right. That's the start of the 2010s. I think that's a good place to cut the, the first half about the origins. It's a nice, very condensed summary. Um, let's play another premiere track uh, from... Uh, your band Empire the Vampire. This is a song called. Actually, uh, actually, oh, both of these will be solo tracks. Actually, coming up. Say again. Both of these will be solo tracks. 
Oh, these are all solo tracks. Yeah, I, I, I thought I clarified that earlier. Oh, I was probably spacing out. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, spacing out my own podcast. High quality podcast here. Uh, in any case, let's uh, take a little break. Here's another pretty much song, Blood in the Club. I love this song. I hope you guys enjoy, and we will BRB. Don't go anywhere.
All right, welcome back. Welcome back. Hope you all uh, enjoyed that song. Premier new song. Thank you so much, Julia, for letting me play it. Awesome. I love that song a lot. I'm looking forward to its release. Um, so let's finish up with the second half on the intermingling of dark wave with synth wave, how it arrives to where we are now, the 21st century and uh, the 2020s. We've got acts such as yourself. We've got your band, Empire the Vampire. We've got a bunch of people that are active in the synth community, but have a lot of inspiration from dark band Um not dark band. Uh, I was looking at my script. Sorry, dark wave. So I guess let's talk um, about. Let's actually no, let's start with you. Let's start with uh, your influences and uh, kind of how synthwave has influenced you. Well, a lot of that actually also comes from a lot of where I started, and also a lot of the people who I kind of games I kind of came surrounded by. My my situation is actually particular particularly unique. Because in my case, um, I was actually off, uh, inspired more like by the weekend when it comes to uh, making the sort of darker stuff that I was like. I was inspired a lot by like Starboy and uh, th- mm-hmm. and Post Alarm, that sort of stuff. That's Great kind of song. where I was. Should we repeat that again? No, sorry. I was just saying that's a great song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially like so. That's sort of where I was going off. You know. Uh, that's where I was trying to. That's what I was trying to be at the time, and that's where I was like, when uh, I had just left the EB, EDM scene at the time. Uh, you know, uh, I was making like future bass and that sort of stuff. So it was like I didn't really know where to go after I sort of ditched that whole whole scene. So when I started make going into this, you know, I was like, I didn't really know where to start with, and so I could, I was kind of digging the weekend at the time, and I started. Uh, discovering artists like Susie, uh, Susie and the Banshees, who was uh, sampled on a weekend song called Happy House. And so that's sort of where I started discovering goth bands. And then I started uh, I started uh, discovering a lot of dark wave stuff thanks to a YouTuber named Andalar Benedict. And that's where, uh, I think that's where my early interpretations of dark wave started coming from. And then uh, as, as, uh, an artist that's sort of, she's been in the whole synth wave camp but I, I wouldn't consider her to be directly synthwave. Uh, Jangly and Snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's brought she brought me into this whole scene, and so as I started coming in, you know, the artists that were around me, and so artists like Dread, Fight uh, Mapper, these were some of the initial people who were were really sort of uh, preparation for me, and you know, I think that started to take an influence on me when I started discovering their own works. That's where I started uh, getting some ideas. I think that's where some of the initial uh, first aspects of uh, the trilogy came from. Because actually the trilogy that you see on streaming, there's actually three albums that I put out within uh, three months. And that's so, impressive. Three albums, three months is a lot. Nice job. Yeah, I was, it was a lot of demos and stuff that I was kind of experimenting with. And so uh, I was trying to get a new sound after I was uh, I wasn't exactly the most happy with the Afterlife album that I had put out at the time. I felt it was held back by my partner and my group Alterity at the time. This is uh, this was sort of the early incarnation of Empire Vampire. And so uh, so with the Afterlife album, I, uh, so I kind of felt like only half of it I was super happy with. So with the other half, I was kind of trying to figure out what the heck I was trying, supposed to do. So I started, started messing around with a lot of different works. 
And that's where it started becoming the original trilogy, you know, started uh, taking some of my aspirations of horror, horror and started blending that with like a lot of my surroundings. And I was starting to get into all, a whole, all kinds of stuff. And so that's where I start, started coming up with all these different ideas. And that's where a lot of it became a lot of what you heard on that. And so it's kind of a mishmash, kind of yeah. a wider art collage of a lot of samples and then a lot of a lot of um, VSTs and stuff just kind of jammed in there, and a lot you of distortion and coarse effects added in. And so I think a the, lot of oh sorry. And so a lot of that kind of sort of became the foreground. And so then so when I started uh, listening to more stuff from Synthbam, as I mentioned, um, Bitemapper, Dread, and then I started getting into a lot of the basic stuff. Uh, we are Magonia. Uh, so, Car Carpenter Brute, uh, Goss, and then uh, FM84, and uh, The Midnight, all that, uh, all that sort of stuff. Actually, Anders Mega, once again, his horse uh, and Project Terratron was another um, big influence on me, actually. And you that said was, that uh, you've also been influenced by rap, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, a lot of... A lot of uh, a lot of stuff like some of the experimental stuff, like uh, the clipping, is actually is definitely one act where I could say I definitely took some inspiration from the more, uh, the more weirder side of some of that stuff. But the, uh, but then also I would say, as well, uh, the acts like Pusha T uh, have kind of inspired some of my uh, so the lyricism and AS uh, sort of prominence when it comes to my personality. A lot of the whole, uh, a lot of the whole vampire persona. And uh, the posturing of that, I would say it's connected a lot to Pusha T's sort of uh, perspective as sort of that, uh, sort of that big uh, drug kingpin. I would say there's a connection to the two. I'd say that sort of connection and that sort of bravado is sort of what, what, uh, what labels the foreground of the sort of vampiric cult leader personality that, would be, that is present on Empire, Empire of the Vampire and the more vampiric tracks of my various solo stuff, like when you know, you know, and actually that track itself was named after after um, the Pusha T track, if you know, you know, and actually the album art was inspired by the album that was off of Daytona. Let's talk about the vampire themes because I noticed there's a lot of theme uh, overlapping vampire themes in the original Darkwave stuff you sent me. I don't know if there was a little bias there or not, um, but it seems like there's a lot of kind of fascination with uh, Nosferatu and Transylvanian, the whole uh, vampire lore kind of in a sense. I was wondering if you could just yeah, touch a bit more on that in particular and how and how that's influenced you. Oh, as I said earlier, some of that comes comes into the early aspects of. of very aspects of Gotham, which there is the Bela Lugosi's Dead, in which that references the guy who played Dracula. Mm -hmm. I but, got you. Uh, but also, but when it comes to Druria, actually, one of the uh, one early um, one of the forebears who really in inspired me to take that sort of vampire aspect was actually Blue Tendril. They had a track called Vampire that was released. Uh, that was released in late 2018. The album was released in on my uh, I believe on my birthday in 2019. And so that I uh, and so I remember really enjoying the tracks from the album, but Vampire was still the track I really liked in the Six Faces remix off of that. And so both of those sort of became the forebearers of 
what I was trying to experiment with at the time. And there was another track as well that so happened to be about that so happened to be va vampiric, uh, called Intercourse with the Vampire by Incubus Succubus. And that uh and you know how with the Empire of the Vampire album there's that sort of uh there's that sort of string thing. There's the a lot of the strings going on alongside the guitars yes. and the bass and all that. A lot of that came from Incubus Succubus. A lot of what the uh, and a lot of what they were doing. And so I, a lot of that sound sort of started blending in with what I had. And so that uh, so then I was like, I kind of had this whole vampire thing. And then at the time, I was also uh, picking, uh, I was picking up a, a couple of movies which actually inspired some of the iconography in there. First of all, one of those would be a Japanese vampire trilogy called Bloodthirsty, which is actually what, uh, what the name of my coming solo album will be. The first of, of a sort of trilogy in which the second one... Um, and there, then there was blood. That's what, what will have blood in the club on it. But bloodthirsty, uh, that was that was named after the vamp, the trio vampire Japanese albums, between uh, Japanese films that were released in the early seventies. And these uh, these seventies uh, vampire films, they were sort of, I guess you could say that was sort of how I got I sort of got the idea. And then films like The Vampire Lovers. And then the 70s Nosferatu. I'm not sure if you know this, but alongside the 1920s one, there is also a film that was released in the 70s. Uh, but, I'm not uh, familiar. Well, that's, uh, I guess you could say that's, uh, that's sort of aesthetic alongside that. And then films like The Virgin Witch and The Mephisto Waltz, that's sort of what uh, uh, enabled the first foregrounds of what was the aesthetic of my new, uh, my new uh, music at that time. And then also I would point to as well, as I said, with Lutendral and Incubus Succubus and all that. And then I would also point to uh, Vampire the Masquerade. I think I, t I touched on the compilation mm -hmm. that a lot of that music, I was, I was really into a lot of that music. Um, Bloodsucker 2000, the original one in which I included in that playlist. I'll be dropping that playlist actually once we're done with this interview. So that you, uh, all you guys that are listening in, you can all listening to all this awesome music. It is very good. Also, yeah, but then also tracks like "Deception" by the Krug Shadows, "All No More" by Bella Morte, and then uh, th and then "The Night Is Young" by a band called Ferratu. And I uh, so a lot of that is uh, a lot of that is kind of what inspired sort of the iconography, which became the foregrounds of what, what would be considered the vampire iconography that has defined me now i was gonna mention actually fall no more because that song really stood out to me the end is, sounds very synthy so i guess uh it's acts like those and the progression later on that arrives to uh very inspired by the electric and then leads up to the synth wave but that song in particular very stood up to me i felt like i was listening to the synth wave almost in a bit the end of that song is uh very interesting um, yeah, I think I remember talking about. I was I was saying that piano totally reminded me of like mm -hmm. some, some like Avicii or like Swedish house mafia type of stuff. Like, I thought that like I I always thought that was super neat about that track, and I just, I I think as as well Bella Morti has always been a band that has been has has a really good sense of melody to them, and I think that that track in particular makes that really shine. I agree. I, I like that track a lot. Um, let's let's talk about Dark Synth. Um, anyone that's a regular on Synthopsis, you know how much I love Dark Synth. Um, for, and I'll be honest with everyone, uh, I thought Dark Synth and Dark Wave were completely interchangeable. 
until a, a great person on Reddit, I don't know who, but whoever you are, I, I love you. Um, so thank you for enlightening me. Told me, well, didn't tell me, but in a thread said that dark wave and dark synth are not the same thing. I mean, I'm speaking for myself, but I feel like a lot of people don't really know the difference either. And I feel like they're kind of used interchangeably. Like it's easy to just see dark wave and think, oh, it's just dark synth wave, which is what dark synth is anyways. Right. Um, so I was wondering if you could just touch on more exactly like how they're different um, and so that we can be educated and, uh, you know, hopefully not make this uh, disastrous uh, mistake from now on. All right. So I was, I'm going to I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take two angles from this. I'm going to explain one, how this how this confusion began and what and what and where the, it's how it's been fueled. And the second I'm going to exp explain these actual differences. So I'm going to take that second angle first. But I'm also going to explain that first because actually it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of important, and it, I think there's sort of a misunderstanding here, perhaps, or perhaps a sort of misleading sometimes. Uh, so, the, so what is the actual difference? Well, actually, I I think the big difference is actually this is going to sound weird, but the, actually there's a sort of lack of polish when it comes to dark wave. I think that's one of the biggest factors in it. Is uh, a lot of the a lot of dark wave has like a ver very much of a hazy sound. I think would be the best way to describe mm -hmm. it. More modern day, especially more modern day, where uh, you have a lot of reverb on the vocals. You kind of have sort of sort of these uh, the, these synths that are that are sometimes kind of distorted and kind of offshoot. Like you get uh, that you don't uh, and you really actually in comparison as well. Um, the drum machines are also a little bit different as well. Like usually, sometimes some offshoots of um, dark wave, they will focus more on 808s and 707s instead of the big drum machines that define a lot of synth wave. And so I think one of the uh, other things as well, as I mentioned, that sort of droning vocal style. I don't. Th I don't think I've ever heard that in dark synth, which is I'm surprised. I mean, I've heard Goss do it. But on the Goss track that he did it with, that's it legit sounded like a dark wave song. Like you, you could tell me that's dark wave, I wouldn't argue with that. Uh, I'm trying to think of what it was. It was um, off the Possessor album. What was the uh, one track where he sung? Um, what was the one track where he sung? Uh, from Possessor. It doesn't come Sigil. to my top of my head. Sigil, that was it. Okay. Yeah. So, on, uh, so aside from like, I think Sigil is a good ex is a good example actually of the sort of vocal style that is very uh, unique to dark wave. But I wouldn't see, I wouldn't expect to hear it on any dark synth. Like a, a lot of dark, uh, actually, a lot of dark synth tends to use a lot of uh, a lot of uh, female vocals. A lot of that, uh, a lot of that sort of uh, wispy tone that I I tend to associate with like uh, Megan McDuffie. Yep. Megan McDuffie, Halix Stewart, Harry Stewart are uh, two really big Darsons, uh, female artists. Vocals. Yeah, I would say I would say those two are sort of the, the I would say those two are sort of the standout voices when it comes to that. And actually, the uh, singer on Akuma as well, Rachel Alpine, I think the name yep. is. Yep. Yeah, so I think that I think that those are sort of the sounds that I would associate with dark synth, whereas with dark wave, you kind of have that sort of droning sound. Uh, yeah, uh, the, yeah, the Andrew Eldritch sound is what I like to call it. 
Yeah, I've never heard that uh, that kind of Andrew Eldritch singing at all myself, uh, now you mention it. So that is a very clear distinction. I think that kind of vocal is very defining of the genre. And since it's yeah, absent, it's, I think that's a very clear distinction between the two. So Yeah, it's kind of interesting because uh, I feel like even, uh, even when, me, uh, when Empire the Vampire has tried to back away from that, I feel like at least some elements of that have kind of creeped in into our sound, even though we've tried to focus on uh, more melodic vocals. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense. Uh, I think, well, I mean, now it definitely makes a lot more sense to me, and hopefully uh, anyone that um, make, has the confusion hopefully can be pointed to this episode um, yeah. for the clear-up. But Yeah, I think also, too, uh, I've, uh, as I say, yeah, a lot of the heavy, heavier synths and a lot of the... Uh, and a lot of the uh, a lot of the different drum machines and stuff. I think that's a big uh, thing too. And actually, another thing I forgot to mention: a lot of uh, th there's a specific type of melody that actually is uh, very common with dark wave. It's very influenced by post punk. But you kind of have like inst instead of uh, like uh, dark synth has a sort of type of melody of a, uh, to it. You know, uh, it's kind of hard to explain. But you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I mean, it's hard to like summarize the entire melody of dark sense i mean it is very heavy and very distorted but yeah, i, but like I don't know if i like can just wrap all dark me melody tone that comes to it and then uh, and then uh, with uh dark wave you have these really sort of simple uh you have these simple sort of um post-punk influenced grooves that tend to not really have a whole lot to them or at least not, not like not in the same way that like I I expect like a super fast dark synth group to kind of come in and kind of de kind of wholly develop. And that's not to say that uh, that's not to say that dark wave itself is inherently simple. But I'm saying in the, in the sense that like there's sort of that post punk um that's that sort of post punk groove to it that I don't think is very evident of dark synth. Seems like you dropped your mic. Are you good? Yes. Sorry, okay. I won. I won. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, uh, do you just want to give any other shout-outs to any other artists that are really inspired by Darkwave? I know, for example, like Wraithwalker uh, is a really big fan of Boy Harsher, a very prominent Darkwave uh, band, I believe. Yes, um, so uh, if you have no any other influences, like other people in the scene that have been influenced. Yeah, Dread has also been influenced of... He told. I think he told me he used to be a fan of She Wants Revenge. I remember uh, me and him talking about the same issue. Actually, I remember talking about, about it, and then he talked about oh, how he was a fan of She Wants Revenge, and so I, I remember that. I remember really, really digging that he was that. So shout out to Dread. Actually, he's an awesome dude in general. And uh, it's not on others that I can think of off the top of my head, but I will say any person who is listening to the. Uh, this any uh since fame artist who takes influence from dark wave and any of those other sort of offshoot acts like that do let me know oh actually i remember now uh melody whore melody whore cannot forget that and actually um melody whore always gets played on like a lot of um goth related stuff uh, i know um dj dark dave who's more of like the the goth dj on uh radio dark tone he plays a lot of that stuff I know he's he's played some of his stuff before, if I recall correctly. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I do know that this. Uh, I I've listened to uh, Melody Horse Melody Horse music before, and that definitely connects a lot with the dark wave. The influence is definitely there. 
And uh, especially with his project with uh, Severe V. Um, and Notorious Eric and... Um, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I think well, I think that's a good place to uh, wrap it up. Um, unless if you have any oh. last-minute comments on oh, yes, uh, Synthwave and Darkwave stuff. Yeah, actually, uh, that gets to where I was going to say the two things get uh, how it gets mixed up. Oh, okay. Yeah. So actually, what so what happens actually is well, I think it, uh, one of the first artists to really use this tag was actually um, the Rain Within. Uh, the, the Rain Within was actually a project started by Bella Morte, uh, the the singer of Bella Morte, and so he was kind of his synthwave side project. So he, of course, he has some of the influence in there. So he kind of had the right to use that term, you know. And then after that, uh, I think it was following uh, his stuff that like certain synthwave artists started using it as more of a clickbait tag, you know. And uh, mm. the, uh, so they they'd use that because you know you click dark wave and then you'd be able to see that uh, you be able to see that. And actually, I'd I'd hate to be the accusatory one, but I I see new retro wave as very much uh, very much a label that continues to do this. I think uh, New Retrowave being as big as they are, I feel like they very much have perpetuated this sort of problem. And uh, so they've sort of normalized this sort of classification and, and between other outlets, uh, other outlets using this term dark wave that promote mostly the sort of synth wavy stuff. Mm -hmm. I think it's sort of uh, created this problem that I, I think has contributed to the, the decline of the goth scene because... 2010s for as much as we get quality and in, in, uh, quality and innovation from acts like Boy Harsher, as you mentioned, on uh, Drive Majesty, Actors, and Sex Style, the uh, the scene hasn't really grown in the same way that in the 2000s did. So would you say, in a sense, that that synth wave, a new retro wave, not the label, but the retro revival, is definitely hurting dark wave in a, in a way with this kind of consumption, if you could call it. Yeah, that. it's in, yeah, it's indirectly hurt. Uh, it's indirectly hurting it for sure. And I think that the, uh, I think there's definitely a healthy discussion that can be had on how to uh, on sort of a res uh, respect for dark wave per se, uh, and sort of giving that sort. Of, and at the very least, if we're going to use their terms, I think we, we should start. We should start including them in the discussion if we're if that's what we're go going to keep doing. And to, or if not, then we I think we need to back away from this factor. Gotcha. All right, I think that's a good place to uh, end it. Let's uh, wrap up the episode with the last five. The last five minutes of the episode where I fill you guys on any new releases that have been announced, cool stuff coming up, etc. Um, not a whole lot this episode, but enjoy A Promise by Laserhawk, one of my favorite songs I play this every episode. Alright, new releases. I don't really have a whole lot this week. Um, I've got a few, uh, Magic Sword album, question mark, I don't know entirely, but I believe it's an album, is coming out, uh, it's called Endless, it's coming out March 27th. I want, I want to talk a little bit about Magic Sword. Honestly, I'm really not a fan of Magic Sword. Um, I like their biggest hits, In the Face of Evil, uh, The Way Home, and Legend the Keeper. 
But I'm not a fan of the rest of their music, really. I mean, I don't know. You know, I they're amazing live, and I'm so hyped to see them again in April with my friends. Uh, but, you know, I'm not really too hyped for this album. I'll definitely listen to it, and we'll see. But, uh, you know, it's my two cents on Magic Sword. I feel like they're kind of like a one-hit wonder. I, because, like, In the Face of Evil is just kind of its own legendary song, and I just feel like they have not even come close to that in, in the, in the, in the, since then, so... Which is a little disappointing, uh, but we'll see. Um, Iterations has released a new single, came out last Tuesday, called Killer Kane. It is really good. I like this song a lot. I've added it to my playlist. It is wonderful stuff. Um, it's pretty intense from the beginning to the end. It's great. It has a nice little melody at the end, but the, the, back, the background is really steady. It's very powerful. It's awesome. Great song. Uh, Killer Kane by Iterations. Please check it out. Um, Imagine the Echo single by Best Korea is out available on plat all platforms. Oh single my God, uh, single called so Naomi much. by Luke Hash is out now. Also, a single collab, Misty Streets by Don and Vasto of Night Ride FM, is on YouTube. Check it out. Uh, and also, you've got uh, uh, Zetravoid is releasing a track called Wrath on February 15th. Uh, and he, it's a single, but he said he is aiming to. Uh, release an album soon, so I'm very excited for that. Zetravoid, Zetravoid. Uh, I mixed up uh, uh, iterations and uh, Zetravoid. In any case, um, Zetravoid is releasing an album, and I'm super hyped for that. I love Zetravoid. Makes awesome music. Really nice dude. So check that out. He's also released a few singles lately that are pretty solid. Um, Never forgotten, and uh, I don't remember the other one. Um, but in any case, uh, Zetravoid album coming out soon. Uh, Eli Arson, Drea has reminded me, thank you. February 7th, I forgot the release date, Dusk Incarnate. That is this Friday, Eli Arson's new album is coming out, and this is going to be epic. I'm very excited. I like the teasers that they've released a lot. Um, Streamlined, I think, is, is the collab with uh, The Encounter. is really good. And Eli Arson, I talked about them a bit last week. They've been working a lot on polishing themselves a bit more and experimenting. They've got a lot of collabs in this album. It seems like they worked really hard. And personally, it's a little bit of a tangent, but I want to say this. I don't really care how, like, I'm not too, I don't get hung up on how a current album is for someone. Right? If you're an artist and you release an album that's meh or not that good, I don't really mind a whole lot. If, and here's the if, if your next release, you notice your mistakes and you're working hard, you're saying, I'm aware that this is a problem and I'm doing something to fix it, that will get me hyped because I believe in second, second chances. I believe in people realizing the mistakes and learning. It is something I've done a lot in life and in this podcast. And a lot of very good artists do this and they learn from their mistakes over time. You do not have to nail things on the first time to be perfect. It's okay to make mistakes. So, Eli Arson have proven that this is something they're doing, and it's got me very excited. Um, I so would we'll see. I would February agree, 7th, this Friday. Um, I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, actually, and I want to comment, actually, offhand. Actually, as you were saying with improving and all that, I definitely uh, would uh, would say that's definitely been something for me where it's like I've, uh, I can identify with that sort of same thing where it's like, I've re realized I have a lot of flaws when it comes to a lot of my stuff, and that's where I kind of try to been working and all that. And I will say with Eli Arson, I've I've checked out the I've checked out their stuff, and I've taken a lot of influence actually. I've, I actually forgot to mention them earlier, but like um, from hearing Eli Arson, and actually you can kind of he hear that in the Empire of the Vampire album, 
and in the uh, especially in the EP we did before the um for the album, it kind of made it super obvious that we've taken some influence from them. But like really, the, it, they have improved so so much like yep. going into this album. Like I will say that we, we're like me and uh, me and Lucu, uh, Lucu, we've been definitely listening to this and we've been taking footnotes. And so, Ilya Arson is listening to this. Y'all guys rock. This album is going to be amazing. It looks like mm -hmm. I am absolutely looking forward to listening to it. I've gotten a shirt and I've gotten the CD. Nice. I ordered the cassette, even though I didn't have anything to play it on, but I saw a cassette, so I wanted to get it, you know? Yeah, I actually got, I'm actually wearing my Ilya Arshin shirt right now as we're talking. All right. Yeah, this album's going to be epic. I'm really excited. Um, and I, I'm really looking forward to your new stuff, too. I like Blood in the Club a lot. It's really good. Um, and that's yes, all I have man. for releases, unless you, you know any other ones coming out, but I don't have a whole uh, lot. Well, actually... Well, actually, I want to give a specific shout out because actually, Mr. Murray is taking down all of um, taking down his music in order um, because he's moving um, from root note to district, and so he's losing all his. He's gonna lose all of his streams coming up. Mm. And so I'm, I won't. Um, all right, I've been a fan of Mr. Murray for quite a bit, and I've been, um, and uh, we, we've talked for a bit. We've talked for a bit, and I can say I can definitely say I vouch for this dude, and I want I want to say that. Like once his new stuff, uh, once the new versions of the stuff come out over the weekend, I wanted I want to encourage everybody to go ahead and go and stream it and support the dude. I really didn't even it. know that, so thank you. I will do that, and I will try to remind yeah. everyone next week also. Yes, and uh, yes, and then are we? Are you going to announce the date for my coming EP from the track that you're going to premiere right now, or should are you? I, should you I go, will. You, I just I have one last shout I want to give. I want to give a shout out to Dimmy K, Greece, the artist from Greece, one of uh, the synthwave community's most beloved artists. He made a uh, remix of the Witcher theme, which has exploded. It's got about a hundred. As I checked last Friday, I had 128,000 views on Friday on YouTube. So, round of applause to Dimmy K for doing an awesome job. And I, I mean. I don't really want to say I told you so, but this is the power of uh, remixing pop culture stuff. If you make a remix of something popular that people are familiar with, like The Witcher or anything else, um, this is a way really to branch out of your synthwave bubble and grab someone. You know, someone be like, hey, I love The Witcher. What's this thing? Oh, this sounds beautiful. What the hell is this genre? Synthwave? I don't know what this is. And this is something I talked about in detail in my episode on remixing. But this is the lived example of how if you do remixing really well, you can break out of your bubble and get people. And I guarantee you guys, there are a bunch of people who are now into Synthwave because of this remix. So round of applause to Demi K. And I encourage you guys, if there's a cool uh, song or something, a nice something exploding, pay attention to what's going on. If you think I can remix this and do a really good job, you can get really big returns. Uh, it is possible, you know, because like the Witcher people will share this song, etc. So uh, awesome job with that. Um, next week's episode will be on album intro tracks. This has been something I've talked about a bit on Twitter uh, with various artists. Um, and there is a bit of talk about it and, you know, how they can be used. So I want to do a whole episode on this. I'm going to play a bunch. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, some people have said various things. It's not really a hot topic, but definitely some people are very opinionated on them. So we'll see. It's going to be fun. Um, we are going to close with the last premiere track, We Were Always Dead, uh, which will be released on CD under the same title on February 8th. 
along with a physical CD. Um, February 28th, actually. February 28th? I thought I said yeah, that. Uh, oh. Yes, 28th. Uh, okay. Uh, that, is the end, that is the end of the month. Yes. All right. Uh, so let's close out with that. Please don't forget to follow uh, me and Drury on uh, Twitter, uh, Drury at Drury Music, and myself at Top Spod. So thank you all so much for tuning in. Here is We Were Always Dead, Premier Song. I love you all. I will see you all next week. Take care. Stay safe. Synthopsis out. <laughs> <laughs>